Section two of Memoirs of Miss Sidney Bidolph. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Memoirs of Miss Sidney Bidolph by Francis Sheridan. Volume one continued. May the nineteenth. Six weeks and no news of Mr. Falkland's coming. I'll positively give him but another week. I begin to think myself affronted by his stay. May the 23rd. Now, now, my Cecilia, I can gratify your curiosity at full. He is come at last. Mr. Falkland, I mean. Orlando is come. We had a message from him this morning to inquire after all our healths. He has just arrived at his house in the square. Sir George flew to him directly and said he would bring him without ceremony to take a family dinner. My mother bid him do so, and she held a quarter of an hour's conference with her cook. She is always elegant and exact at her table, but we were more than ordinarily so today. My brother brought Mr. Falkland a little before dinner-time and presented him to my mother and me with that kind of freedom that almost looked as if he were already one of the family. We had both been prepossessed highly in favour of his figure, a circumstance that seldom is of advantage to persons on their first appearance, but here it had not that effect. Sir George did not overrate the personal accomplishments of his friend. Now you'll expect I should describe him to you, perhaps, and paint this romantic hero in the glowing colours of romantic exaggeration. But... I'll disappoint you and tell you that he is neither like an Adonis nor an Apollo, that he has no hyacinthine curls flowing down his back, no eyes like suns whose brightness and majesty struck the beholders dumb, nor, in short, no rays of divinity about him, yet he is the handsomest mortal man that I ever saw. I will not say that his voice is harmony itself, and that all the loves and graces, for why should not there be male as well as female graces, attend on his motions, that Minerva presides over his lips, and every feature has its attendant cupid. But I will acknowledge that his voice in speaking is inexpressibly pleasing. You know how I admire an agreeable voice, and his air and motions are easy genteel and graceful his conversation sensible and polite and without the least tincture of affectation that thing which of all others would to me destroy the charms of an angel in short without hyperbole that he is what every one must allow a perfectly handsome and accomplished young man I never saw my mother appear so pleased with any one. The polite freedom of his address, the attention and deference he seemed to pay to her sentiments, delighted her beyond expression. I bore no great part in the conversation, but was not, however, quite overlooked by Mr. Falkland. He referred to me in discourse now and then, and seemed pleased with me. At least, I fancied so. My brother endeavour to draw me out as he said afterwards the intention was kind but poor sir george is not delicate enough in these matters i should have done better if he had left me alone 
I thought of the conversations we had so often had about Mr. Falkland, and could not help considering myself like a piece of goods that was to be shown to the best advantage to a purchaser. This reflection threw a sort of constraint over my behaviour that, fool as I was, I had not courage enough to shake off, and did not acquit myself at all to my own mind. I had, notwithstanding, the good fortune to please my mother infinitely. She told me, after our visitor was gone, that my behaviour had been strictly proper, and blamed Sir George for his want to engage me too often in conversation. "'You may assure yourself, son,' she said, "'that a man of Mr. Falkland's understanding will not like a young lady the worse for her silence.' She spoke enough to show that it was not for want of knowing what to say that she held her tongue. The man who does not reckon a modest reserve among the chief recommendations of a woman should be no husband for Sydney. I am sure when I married Sir Robert, he had never heard me speak twenty sentences. Sir George agreed with her as to the propriety of her observation in regard to a modest reserve, but said, People nowadays did not carry their ideas of it quite so far as they did when his father's courtship began with her, and added that a young lady might speak with as much modesty as she could hold her tongue. I did not interfere in the debate, only said I was very glad to have my mother's approbation of my conduct. This put an end to the argument, and my mother launched out in high enconiums on Mr. Falkland. She said, upon her truth, he was the finest young man she ever saw in every respect. So modest, so well-bred, so very entertaining, and so unassuming with all his fine accomplishments. She was quite astonished, and owned she almost despaired of finding a young gentleman of the present mode of education so very unexceptionable in his behaviour. If his morals answer to his outward deportment, there she stopped, or rather Sir George interrupted her. I hope you'll believe, madam, that my knowledge of mankind is not so circumscribed, but that I can distinguish between a real and an assumed character and i will venture to assert that in the whole circle of my acquaintance i do not know one so unobjectionable even in your strict sense of the word morals as mr falkland well said my mother i have the pleasure to observe to you and i think i am seldom mistaken in my judgment that mr falkland is at least as well pleased with sydney as we are with him what say you, daughter? Aye, what say you, sister? cried Sir George. I think, madam, that Mr. Falkland is an accomplished gentleman, and, and that you could be content to look no farther if matters are brought to bear, eh, Sidney? I need not tell you whose speech this was. Brother, that is going a little too far for the first time of my seeing him. A great deal too far, my mother said. Let us first know Mr. Falkland's mind from him, before we say a word more of the matter. Sir George told us that 
Mr. Falkland, at going away, had requested he would sup with him at his own house, as he said he had a few visits of form to pay and should be at home early in the evening. May the 24th My mother and I were in bed before my brother came in last night, though he keeps very good hours in general. When we met this morning at breakfast, I saw by Sir George's face that he was brimful of something. Falkland don't like you, Sidney, said he abruptly. How can you or I help that, brother? cried I, colouring. Though to tell you the truth, I did not believe him, for I knew if it had been so, he would not have come out with it so bluntly. But my mother, who always takes every word she hears literally, took him up short. If he does not, sir, it is not polite in you to tell your sister so. I hope Sidney may be liked by as good a man as Mr. Falkland. And up she tossed her dear honest head. Sir George burst out a-laughing. My mother looked angry. She was afraid her sagacity would be called in question after what she had pronounced the evening before. I looked silly, but pretended to smile. Sir George was clown enough to laugh on. At last, to my mother. But, my dear madam, can you believe me serious in what I said? Have you so good an opinion of my veracity, or so ill a one of my breeding, as to suppose I would shock my sister by such a rude declaration, if I meant anything by it but a joke? Indeed, Sidney, looking half-smiling at me, I would not be as much in love with our sovereign lady the Queen as poor Falkland is with you for my whole estate. This put me a great deal more out of countenance than what he had said at first. Now, brother, now you are too extravagant the other way. My mother looked surprised, but recovered her good humour presently. Dear George, there is a no-knowing when you are in earnest and when not. But, as Sidney says, now you are rather too extravagant. You might say so to Falkland, answered my brother, if you were to hear him. I could get nothing from him the whole night but your praises. I thought, said my pleased mother, he had not disliked the girl. Now you see, son, her silence did her no harm. And she smiled tenderly at me. Come, said Sir George, things are mighty well on all sides. Falkland has begged of me that I would use my interest with you, mother, whom he thinks one of the best of women, that he may be permitted in form to make his address to Miss Biddulph. My interest he knows he has, and I hope, madam, he will also have your approbation. He desired me to explain minutely to you every circumstance of his fortune. What his estate is, I have told you and his family is of known distinction. He begged I would not mention Sidney's fortune, and said that if, upon a farther acquaintance, he should have the happiness to be acceptable to my sister, he should insist upon leaving the appointment of her settlement to Lady Biddulph and myself. I told him I would lay this proposal before you, 
and could for his present comfort inform him that, as I believed my sister had no prepossessions in favour of anyone else, I was sure if he met with your concurrence, hers would follow, of course. A very discreet answer, said my mother, just such a one as I would have dictated to you if I had been at your elbow. I believe we may venture to suppose that Sydney has no prepossessions, and as this is as handsome an offer as can possibly be made, I have no objections, if you have none, my dear, to admit Mr. Falkland upon the terms he proposes. What answer ought I have made, Cecilia? Why, to be sure, just the one I did make. I have no prepossessions, madam, looking down and blushing till it actually painted me, for I was really startled. My Cecilia knows I am not a prude. My dear, cried my mother, and took me by the hand. Poor Sidney, said Sir George, how you are to be pitied. Mr. Falkland purposes waiting on you in the afternoon, if he is not forbid and he looked so teasingly sly that my mother bid him leave off his pranks. The day is over. Mr. Falkland spent the evening with us, no other company but our own family. My mother likes him better even than before. Thy mother, disingenuous girl, why dost thou not speak thy own sentiments? There is an apostrophe for thy use, my Cecilia. Well, then, my sentiments you shall have. You have an undoubted right to know them on all subjects, but particularly on this interesting one. I do think Mr. Falkland the most amiable of men, and if my heart were, happily for me it is not, very susceptible of tender impressions, I really believe I should in time be absolutely in love with him. This confession will not satisfy you. Maybe it is not enough, yet in truth, Cecilia, it is all that at present I can afford you. The thoughts of the awkward figure I should make in the evening visit sat heavy on my spirits all day. Can you conceive anything more distressing than the situation of a poor girl receiving the visit of a man who, for the first time, comes professedly as her admirer? I had conceived a frightful idea of such an interview, having formed my notions of it only from romances, where set speeches of an L long are made by the lover, and answers of a proportionate size are returned in form by the lady. But Mr. Falkland soon delivered me from my anxiety. His easy but incomparably polite and sensible freedom of address quickly made me lose my ridiculous fears. He made no other use of his visit than to recommend himself more strongly to our esteem, by such means as proved how well he deserved it. If he was particular to me, either in his looks or manner, it was under the regulation of such a nice decorum that I, who supposed I must have sunk with downright confusion, was hardly disconcerted during the whole visit. June the 10th. I do really think my good mother grows so fond of Mr. Falkland, that if he goes on at this rate, he will get the start even of Sir George in her affections. 
Mr. Falkland said so-and-so. Mr. Falkland is of opinion. And I am sure you will allow Mr. Falkland to be a good judge of such and such things. To say the truth, the man improves upon you every hour you know him. And yet I have discovered in him some of those little, and they are but little, alloys, to his many good qualities, which Sir George at first told me of. The interest I may one day have in him makes me a closer observer than I should otherwise be. There is that sly turn to ridicule which my brother mentioned. Yet, to do him justice, he never employs it but where it is deserved. And then, too, with so much vivacity and good humour, that one cannot be angry with him. We had a good deal of company at dinner with us to-day, amongst the rest young Sayers, who has just returned from his travels, as he calls it. You remember he went away a good-humoured, inoffensive, quiet fool. He has brought no one ingredient of that character back with him, but the last. For such a stiff, conceited, overbearing, talkative, impertinent coxcomb does not exist. His mother, who, poor woman, you know originally made a simpleton of the boy, contributes now all in her power to finish the fop, and she carries him about with her everywhere for a show. We were assembled in the drawing-room before dinner. In burst, for it was not a common entry, Master Sayers and his mamma, the cub handing in the old lady so stiff and so awkward and so ungraceful and so very unlike mr falkland that i pitied the poor thing who thought that everybody would admire him as much as his mother did after he had been presented to the ladies for it was the first time we had seen him since he came home he took a turn or two about the room to exhibit his person then applying himself to a picture which hung over the door a fine landscape of Claude Lorraine, which Mr. Falkland himself had brought over and given to Sir George, he asked my brother, in a tone scarce articulate, whether we had any painters in England. My mother, who by chance heard him, and by greater chance understood him, answered, before Sir George had time, "'Painters, sir? Yes, sure, and some very good ones, too.' Why, you cannot have forgot that. It is not much above a year since you went abroad. For you must know he had been recalled upon the death of an uncle who had left him his estate. I observed Mr. Falkland constrained a very sly laugh, on account both of the manner of my mother's taking his question, and her innocently undesigned reprimand. Sayers pretended not to hear her, but looked through his fingers as if to throw the picture into perspective. "'That is a pretty good piece,' said he, "'for a copy.' "'Oh!' cried his mother, "'there is no pleasing you. "'People who have been abroad are such connoisseurs in painting.' Nobody made any immediate answer. Mr. Falkland stepped up to Mr. Sayers, and with such a roguish humility in his countenance that you would have sworn he was a very ignoramus, said, "'Are you of opinion, sir, that that picture is nothing but a copy?' 
"'Nothing more, take my word for it, sir. "'When I was at Rome, there was a Dutchman there "'who made it his business to take copies of copies, "'which he dispersed and had people to sell for him in different parts, "'at pretty good prices, and they did mighty well, "'for very few people know a picture. "'And I'll answer for it, there are not many masters of eminence. "'But what have a hundred originals palmed upon them "'more than ever they painted in their lives?' Mr. Falkland then proceeded to ask him abundance of questions, which any one who did not know him well would have thought he proposed for no other end but a desire of information. And the poor coxcomb Sayers plumed himself upon displaying so much travelled knowledge to a wondering, ignorant Englishman who had never been out of his own country. The company were divided into little chatting parties, as is usual when people are whiling away a half-hour before dinner. Mrs. Sayers, my mother, and I were sitting together on a couch, near enough to hear the conversation that passed between the two gentlemen, at least as much as was not sunk in the affected, half-pronounced sentences of Mr. Sayers. His mother, to whom he was the principal object of attention in the company, seemed mightily pleased at the opportunity her son had, from the inquisitiveness of Mr. Falkland, whom she did not know, of showing his taste in the polite arts, and often looked about to observe if anybody else attended to them. My mother, dear literal woman, as I often call her to you, took everything seriously and whispered to me, "'How pretty that is, Sidney! How condescending in Mr. Falkland! You see, he does not make a parade of his own knowledge in these matters, but is pleased to reap the benefit of other people's. I, who saw the latent roguery, could hardly contain myself. Indeed, I was amazed at Mr. Falkland's grave, inquisitive face, and was very glad my mother did not find him out.' Sayers, elated with having shone so conspicuously, for he observed that both my mother and I attended to his discourse, proceeded to show away with an immensity of vanity and frothy chat, beginning every new piece of history with, When I was at Rome, or When I was at Paris. At last, luckily for him, speaking of an incident, which made a good deal of noise and happened at the first-mentioned place, in which two English gentlemen had been concerned, he said it was about eleven months ago, just before he left Rome. My mother, who had heard Mr. Falkland relate the same story, but with some very different circumstances, immediately said, Mr. Falkland, have I not heard you speak of that? You were at Rome yourself when the affair happened, and if I be not mistaken, it was through your interest with the Cardinal of Blank that the business was made up. If a spectre had appeared to poor Sayers, he could not have looked more aghast. He dropped his visage halfway down his breast, and for the first time speaking very plain and very loud too, with a stare of astonishment, Have you been at Rome, sir? "'I was there for a little time, sir,' answered Mr. Falkland, with real modesty, for he pitied the mortified buzzard. "'And 
I know the story was represented as you have told it. The circumstances differed in a few particulars, but the facts were nearly as you have related them. How obligingly did he reconcile the out-of-countenance sayers to himself and to the company? Were you long abroad, pray, sir? said the coxcomb. About five years, sir, answered Mr. Falkland. But I perceive by the conversation I have had the honour of holding with you to-day that many accurate and curious observations escaped me, which you made in a much shorter space of time, for the communication of which I think myself extremely obliged to you. Whether the poor soul thought him serious as my mother did, I cannot tell. He made him a bow, however, for the compliment but was so lowered that he did not say a word more of Rome or Paris for the rest of the day. And in this we had a double advantage, for as he had nothing else to talk of, his mouth was effectually stopped. Except when Mr. Falkland, out of compassion, asked him, as he often did, such questions as he thought he could answer without exposing his ignorance for he was contented to have enjoyed it in their tete-a-tete, and was far from wishing the company to be witnesses of it. I think such a bagatelle may give you some idea of this man's turn. I told it to Sir George. He laughed heartily and said it was so like him. My brother loves even his faults, though he will not allow me to call them by that name. End of section 2